Traders Point, how we doing? Hey, so good to be with you, everyone at the campuses, watching online, welcome. Uh, but before we get started with the, the message today, I just have one announcement, one thing I want to put on your radar, and that is going to be our Christmas Impact Project. So here's what we're doing this year. We are partnering with Shepherd Community Center. And maybe that name sounds familiar to you, maybe it doesn't, but Shepherd is located on the near east side of Indianapolis, and they've been serving there faithfully for years. And here's what they do. They serve um, families that have, are in just generational poverty. And they come alongside them and they serve them in a way that brings dignity and hope and helps them in that process. So this year, what we're going to help do is uh, they put together a Christmas store every year. And what they do is they pack it with presents and then they invite the neighbors to come in so that parents can actually pick out gifts for their kids and then take them home themselves. It's a way to, like I said, bring dignity. And what we're doing as a church is we've committed to filling that store, right? We wanna fill that store with little presents, big presents, everything in between. And you can go to our websites. We have a link right here where you can go and see a list of all the things that we're gathering and you can buy one item or a hundred items. And then over the next few weekends from now until December 11th, we are gonna pack these bins and then take them down there and fill that store. I mean, it's an amazing thing that we get to be a part of. Me and my family do it every year. Yeah, you guys in on that? Let's do it. Let's fill that store. Man. Um, but then today, uh, also excited, we get to finish up our series, We Are Traders Point. And what we've been doing in this series is looking at the Great Commission, this commissioning that Jesus gave all of his followers and the church. And if you remember this, this is in Matthew 28, where Jesus, right before he ascends into heaven, he says, hey, all authority has been given to me. So what I want you to do now is go. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I have commanded. And be sure of this, I will be with you until the end of the age. And so we know that that is the commissioning, that is the mission of all churches. And what we've been saying is that as our church, Traders Point, we break that down in a unique way, something called the Great Commission Engine, where we take that commissioning and then just put it together. So every week we've been looking at this and saying, hey, this is what we're here to do as a church. A part of that commissioning, we're here to help people know God. We're here to help people find life-giving relationships. We want to help people make a difference. And I don't know about you, but I have been loving this series. Anybody else been getting fired up with this series? Been feeling like you're getting brought back in on something? Same. And what we're going to do today is to look at this and to say, if this is an engine, then like any engine, it needs fuel, right? And this engine specifically, it is fueled by prayer in the Holy Spirit and only prayer in the Holy Spirit. Because I don't know if you know this, but there's actually a different kind of fuel that you can put in there that will actually bring a lot of damage and pain. I mean, we know this. With any engine, you can hypothetically put the wrong kind of fuel into the engine and it'll create all kinds of problems. Have you ever done that? Have you ever put the wrong kind of fuel into your car? 
And I'm just gonna say this, like don't get nervous, it's water in here. It's, they would not give me real gas. Um, and I'm not gonna spill it or drink it. I mean, actually, this would be a splash zone right here. Uh, no. Go ahead, ask me if I've ever put the wrong kind of gas in my car. Yes, yes, I have. I'm telling you, you guys don't want to play Never Have I Ever with me. I have done so many dumb things, but this one wasn't all my fault, right? Uh, we lived in this small town, southeast side of Indy, and they didn't have a gas station. They had a gas lot, right? It was just a gravel lot with a few uh, dispensers where you could get gas from, unmarked for the most part. At least I couldn't see anything where they were marked. So I pull into this place, and I get to the, te- uh, to the fueling station and I'm trying to figure it out. I'm like, okay, I don't know. And I grab one. And here's the first sign that should have told me. I don't know if you've ever used uh, diesel um, gas before, but even the handle is different. Like it won't fit into your car. But I'm just thinking this old abandoned station, like it's just all jank. So I'm like turning it sideways and like lifting it and trying to really just like shake it in there. And I get as much of this diesel fuel into my Grand Am as I possibly can before I just give up. Like, you know what? I'll just deal with it. I'll get some more gas later on. I did not get lit gas later on. Um, I had to get the tank drained. I had to do this whole thing. It was a mess of a situation. And here's the truth about the Great Commission engine and the church. There's a version of the church that is not fueled by prayer and the Holy Spirit. It can be fueled by pride. It can be fueled by fear, by human strength and cold religion. And there's a version of me and you as well that isn't fueled by prayer and the Holy Spirit. And just like me putting diesel into my grand dam, the same thing is gonna happen with the Great Commission engine because God has set it up in a way that it can only be fueled with one kind of fuel. And when we try to apply our own fuel to it, it's just a matter of time before it gets all gummed up and seizes. And I almost sound like I understand engines at this point, (laughs) but I don't. But here's the good news. It's God's commissioning, it's God's engine, it's God's church. And here's the thing, God has promised to fuel his mission. It is not on us to create something. It is not on us to go find something. God has promised to fuel his mission. And it is a powerful, powerful fuel. So powerful that Jesus knew this to the point that he wouldn't even allow the church to get started until the fuel came. Do you guys know this? This is after Jesus, uh, you know, was crucified, murdered, They see this man be thrown into a a tomb and then he resurrects and he comes back and he says, hey, I'm going. Gave that whole commissioning speech, but he says, you wait here until the fuel comes. You wait here until the power comes because I've seen you guys on your own and you will not stand a chance here without my power. So wait for it. I mean, look at this. Look what he says in Acts 1. He says, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised as I told you before. This gift, it was something that Jesus kind of hinted at over and over again through his ministry. And now the time was here that this gift, this fuel was going to come, which was going to allow his church to be like anything, nothing like anything the world had ever seen. And Jesus said some pretty wild things about this fuel, about this gift. Look at this one in John 16. He says, but in fact, 
it is best for you that I go away. And this is Jesus speaking. It is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. Do you know how good something has to be for Jesus to say, hey, it is better that I go and this gift gets to come than I stay. That's the level of fuel that we're talking about here. That's the power that we're talking about here. That's how good it is for me and you and for the existence of his church to move forward, that it's actually better for Jesus to go and for us to receive this gift. What, what is this gift? What is this, this fuel that Jesus is talking about? He, he lays it out for us in John 14. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads in all truth. Now, here it is, the Holy Spirit. This is the gift, this is the fuel, this is what is going to empower us, equip us. It is the only thing that will take this impossible task of keeping this giant engine running and going and going so strong that even the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. It's a fuel that God himself would have to give. It's, a, it's, a, it's so expensive that God himself would have to finance this fuel. And what he says is, is an, an advocate who is the Holy Spirit. And, and I don't wanna get too caught up on the word advocate because advocate is just one of many words that is used to describe the Holy Spirit. We see advocate, we see helper, we see counselor. The word I want us to focus on when it comes to the Holy Spirit is another one. DJ Khaled voice, another one. <laughs> There's another one that is just like God the Father. There's another one that is just like Jesus Christ the Son. There's another one and his name is the Holy Spirit. And what we're hitting on now is what's known as the doctrine of the Trinity, which may be one of the hardest concepts to grasp. But this is our way of trying to understand who God is. And in just a moment, I'm gonna to try to just explain a little bit about the Trinity and who God is and how we can know him a little bit. But I would say the only thing harder than trying to describe the Trinity to someone that doesn't know is like trying to describe Euchre to someone that's never played. <laughs> so I thought, let's just do, go double. You know what I mean? Let's double down. So I'm gonna talk about Euchre, explain that for those that don't know, and then we'll do Trinity, all right? For those of you that don't know, Euchre is a made up game that we play here in the Midwest with rules that you cannot comprehend unless you've grown up with them. Like I was sitting down this summer to play Euchre and there's a few of us from the Midwest and one guy from California, he was a Californian. And um, we sit down and talk about what game are we gonna play? And one guy said this from the Midwest, let's play Euchre, we can teach him how to play real quick. I said, that is the biggest lie I've ever heard you say in your life. For those that you don't know, Euchre is a game you play uh, teams. You have a partner playing against another person and their partner. And the way that it's going, you're trying to win as many hands, as many books as possible. And the way you win is if your team has the highest card on the table, you win that hand. Now, in some ways, this makes sense. Uh, it, it follows most orders of games in the sense that, you know, uh, 10 is better than nine, right? King is better than queen, ace is better than king, and you follow that. The other layer to this, though, that you have to put out there is the trump, the trump. Now, 
Where this differs from most games that I've played, like spades. Like everyone loves spades. Spades is a fun game. Spades make sense. Spades are, a spade is always a spade. A spade is always trump. In Euchre, the trump changes every single hand. Either you call it or you pick it up. And I'm not even gonna go into what that means. But those are some of the rules. So I just wanna put a scenario out there for you that have never played Euchre. Based on what you know, say the hand goes, it's dealt out. Diamonds are trump. What is the best card that can be played? People that have not played. I understand if you've played, you understand the rules. Yes. The highest card is a jack. There is no other game where jack is the highest card when an ace or a king or a queen exists. The only time that happens is if you've lost the queen, the king, and the ace, and you're playing with a small deck. Okay, now, you guys got that one. That one was easy. Now, for those that have never played, what's the second best card that can be played? Diamonds or Trump? You guys are not listening. Yes, it is the Jack of Hearts. The second highest card is the suit that matches that color. And you think I'm making up this game right now because it's a made up game. And you sit down with a real person and you try to explain this to them. This is the game we're gonna be playing tonight. Good luck. So to the Trinity. Just like Euchre, very confusing, but once you get it, it's tons of fun. That might be a stretch. All right, um, but here's the, the, the concept of the Trinity. It's this idea that God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So think about this for a second. It's not that we believe there are three gods. It's one God in three. It's not that it's one God that shows up in three different forms, as like God shows up as the Father, God shows up as the Son, God shows up as the Spirit. No, it's somehow God in and of himself is three persons. God has existed within this Trinitarian relationship for all of eternity, before time and space, God existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Living and, and kind of loving in this community, gratifying and, and lifting one another up, glorifying one another. Here's why that's important. If that's true, then that means that God within himself is a community. That means God in and of himself is sufficient and complete. So when he went to create you and me, we were not created out of a need. God did not create us so that he could have someone to worship him. God did not create us so that he could have someone to have community with. He already, have, he already had that, which means God created us out of a want. And that's a different kind of fuel. God created us because he wanted us to be able to experience that kind of love, that kind of perfect love that has existed in the Trinity for all of eternity. And he wanted to welcome us into that community. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Look at what he said. Yeah, come on. Look at Jesus' prayer for us in John 17. He says, I pray that they, us, will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, 
And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. And may they be in us. What a God. A God that just wants us to be with him. A God that wants us, not more so what we can do or what we provide, we provide nothing. What he wants us is to be able to experience this kind of love. That is why you were created. That is why you are here with the possibility that you would accept that invitation. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that you would get to experience this Trinitarian love that has existed for all of eternity. You get wrapped up in that. That is what it means to be filled in the Spirit. That what's been going on for all of time is God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been pouring themselves out into one another, living in perfect community where this love is always reciprocated. And what Jesus is saying, I want to bring you into that. I, I want your exist existence to be there. I want your identity to be found there. I want your worth and your value to be found here. And then did you notice what he said? Why? Why I want them to be in us so that they can go and so the world may know that we sent them. It's always back to his great commissioning. All things are going back to God's plan and him restoring the rightful order of things. And we see that in the book of Acts, right after Jesus says, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Finally, the day comes where the spirit falls. We call this the day of Pentecost. Look at this. It says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Imagine being there. You're in this house, you're waiting, you're waiting, wondering, are we gonna miss it? Did it already come? And then a hurricane is formed on the inside of this house. Just mighty rushing winds and then a fire follows. And then it begins to separate and it lands on top of every single one of their heads before completely consuming them. And they are filled with the Spirit. And what was the next thing that happened? The Holy Spirit led them to their commissioning, led them to begin the mission of the church. They were given the ability to be able to speak in languages that they did not know. Why? Because this spot was filled with people from out of town that did not speak their language. So the first moment the spirit falls, they're filled, they go out, they begin speaking in a language that everyone around them can understand. They preach the gospel so that people can hear it and they believe and they're cut to the heart and they are filled with the spirit and they are baptized and God's church begins to move. And the people became unrecognizable. It was clear that they had been with Jesus. They had been filled with his spirit. Men and women were filled and it changed the landscape of the known world. They were filled. When we talk about what is this fuel, it comes from a filling of the Holy Spirit. That's the only thing that will keep that engine going. That's the only thing that we can put in there. And I, but I would say that that's not even the full picture of it. I'd say if we broke it down into two spaces, that would only be part one. Part one is be filled. Part one is wait for the Holy Spirit. Part one is don't try to do this on your own, but let God do what only God can do. But then there's a part two. 
And part two is what I wanna focus on the rest of the time. Part two is remain full, remain full. If you read the New Testament, the second half of your Bible, that's the majority of it. It's this idea of, hey, hey, remain full. I know that you were once filled with the Holy Spirit, but wow, how quickly you forget where you came from. How quickly you forget what was done for you. How quickly you forget that the very Spirit of God is inside you. Start living like that's true. That's so much of the scriptures. It's pointing back to this Trinity. It's writings, reaching out and saying, guys, guys, listen, listen, you're, you're, you're fading away. You're falling back and you're being filled by the things that you used to be filled with. No, 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 come together. Remember that you were created in the image of God. You have the imago Dei on you. You were created in his image. Remember that the son sacrificed himself for you, that he poured out his blood to show how valuable you are to him. Remember, remember that even after all of that, he sealed you with his spirit, making it very clear that you were made in his image, you were bought with his blood, and you have been sealed with his spirit in the sense that nothing could ever take you from him. Remember that when you go. You have been filled. And you get this idea through scripture that we see, it's this idea of continuous replenishment. It's not this one and done type thing of I prayed that prayer once before, back in the 80s, or once, you know, a year ago, or whenever it was for you. It's not just this idea that I was filled, it's that I'm being continuously filled. Maybe you can think about it like this, maybe it'll make more sense. Uh, think about your car. Think about your car. The day you bought your car, you probably filled it up with gas, right? It would be crazy to think that you would never fill up that gas tank again. That you could just be one and done and then this is gonna survive for the rest of your car's duration. It's not gonna happen, no. What do we know? We know we have to be constantly filling this tank. Now, I say that, but I'll also say, I think there's two different kinds of people when it comes to filling up your tank. And here's the real bummer, you're married to each other, right? There's some people, there's some people here that this is what your tank looks like always. Your car has never made it past this halfway point. What kind of heathen would allow their car to get that low on gas? No, no, every two days you're filling this thing back up and back up again. This is my dad, always. No, no, you can't let it get down to the E because then it sucks up the dirt into the, I'm like, yeah, 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 okay, okay. That's one person. Here's the other people. You live with that light on. Listen to me, there's some of you right now, your car is parked in the parking lot of this church and your light is on right now. You are truly living by faith. Like God's gonna get me to this gas station. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be all right. You, you have it down to a science. Like I know I can get 20 miles. Um, when that light comes on, I'm gonna be all right, all right? But I will say, I think there's, there's some of us that live like this spiritually. We're constantly living with the light on. And it, here's that idea is a lot of us are living with this concept, uh, just enough Jesus. I need just enough Jesus. I need just enough Jesus to get me from here to where I'm going next. I need just enough Jesus that I can get on a Sunday that'll get me back through until I fall back with the light on coming back here next Sunday. 
You know, the problem with this concept of just enough Jesus is that it's not in scripture. Jesus is not willing to share the tank with any other gas. He is the only fuel that goes in this tank. And here's the thing, we don't have to live with the light on. We don't have to live just barely making it through. We don't have to just wait until we can get to the next station and the next station and the next station. We live with the station. We live with the gas station inside of us. We live with a God that knows no bounds, that has no ends, that is constantly just pouring himself, pouring himself out into us. This is the God we live with. This is the God who wants to fill us with his spirit so that we can have a life and life to the full. We see a picture of this, even this, this continuous replenishment in Ephesians chapter five. And take a look at this and we'll break it down. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what's he doing here? He's comparing and contrasting two different things. He's saying, don't do this, do this. He says, don't be filled with wine. Don't be filled with alcohol. Because he says, when you do this, it actually ruins your life. It deforms you. It does not create the true image of who God is instilling in you and who God is molding and forming you to be. It deforms you. And if you've ever seen, I think this is why Paul uses the language of wine when he could have used so many different things, but, but wine and alcohol is just such a clear picture of it. It's a quick process. You fill yourself literally with this liquid and then in a short matter of time, you surrender yourself to this bottle and it takes over. And I hear some people talk of like, no, no, when you drink, that's the real version of you. I'm like, that's the real version of you? You can't even speak? You're slurring? You're saying the same thing over and over again? You, you were once standing, now you can't even stand? That, you think that's, no. Alcohol, when, it's, when it takes over, it poisons you. And like I said, it's not, the problem isn't alcohol. We see in other parts of scripture, alcohol in of itself is not a bad thing. It is when it consumes you. It is when you surrender yourself to it. It is when you look to it to fill you he could have used money, he could have used sex, he could have used any other thing here. But I think alcohol gives us a really clear picture of what this is. But then he contrasts it. And he says, no, 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 don't be filled with wine. Don't ruin yourself. But he says, no, fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. And instead of deforming you, no, the Spirit is actually going to form you. And instead of poisoning you, no, no, the Spirit is actually going to give you life. And not just any life, but a life that only God can provide for you. To be continuously filled with his spirit. Those are the choices that we have. And maybe you're sitting there right now like, okay, but how? What, what, what does that look like? How, 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 what are the things that I can do that I need to be aware of that I could actually stop the fuel from coming in? That I could, um, that I could stop the Holy Spirit from running over into my life? And what are some of the things that I could do in my life right now 
that I could just have a fresh pouring of the Spirit over and over and over again. That's what we're going to look at here because the Bible gives us kind of two clear ways when interacting with the Holy Spirit. Two things that me and you have uh, within us freedom to choose. And here's the two options we have. We can either grieve the Holy Spirit or you can yield to the Holy Spirit. Grieve or yield. And I think this is an un... Trying to understand God will blow your mind. But think about this for a second. God, all-powerful, all-creating God, humbles himself to a way, makes himself accessible enough, cares enough about us, loves us so much that he gives us the power to grieve him. He gives us the power to deeply sadden him. He chooses to come live within us, but doesn't forcefully, doesn't control us. He guides us. He prays for us, he leads us, but he won't control us. Why? Because he doesn't want slaves and he doesn't want robots. He wants sons and daughters. So that's what he ha- that's the only way he can get this, is if he submits himself to us and allows us the choice of choosing him over and over again. This is the same paradigm that we see in the garden. God created all things, all things were good. And God gave Adam and Eve the opportunity, the choice to stay with him, to live in harmony within his creation, or they could choose to live how they wanted. And they grieved him. And he gives me and you the same opportunity with his spirit. So how do we know? How do I know if I'm grieving the Holy Spirit? I'd say there's one kind of big way that we can kind of look at our lives and ask the question, am I grieving the Holy Spirit in this season? If we go back to the Great Commission engine, If the Holy Spirit existing within the Trinity is not focused on himself, but each one of them is focused on the other, they're constantly lifting up the other, making them the most important. The Holy Spirit is not introducing anything new. The Holy Spirit is constantly pointing to Jesus, pointing to what Jesus commanded and helping us fulfill that mission. So one way to know if I'm grieving the Holy Spirit is if I've isolated and removed myself from these three things. If I'm in a season where, if I'm being honest, I'm, I don't want to know God. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to know anything more about God. You're grieving the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit wants you to know more and more and be with God over and over and over again. You don't want relationships. Life-giving, you don't, there's no new friends. I don't want to meet a new person. I don't want to go to anyone's house for dinner. I don't want to do anything. I don't even like the old friends that I have. I've separated myself from relationships. I'm isolating myself and making a difference. You're not serving anywhere. You don't want to serve someone. You don't want to do any of it. You might not even believe that you are in a place where you could actually help someone out. You are grieving the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you only do those things when they make you feel good. You do those things when that light kicks on and there's just this little part of conviction that's like, okay, maybe I should do something. Maybe I'll serve once or maybe, maybe I'll give a, a little bit here, do a little bit there. Maybe I'll, I'll read my Bible. I'll come to church on Sunday after a really hard week. But if it's been a good week, that Sunday's mine. These are the just different ways that we're grieving the Holy Spirit. And I would say if you find that true, if you don't want to know God, you don't want to be in relationships, you don't want to serve, you're not, you don't want to make a difference, you can probably be sure 
that you are being fueled by something else and it is not the Holy Spirit and it is not the, it's not prayer. So what's our other option? The other option is to yield to the Holy Spirit. To yield to the Holy Spirit. Here's what that looks like. Galatians chapter 5. He says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Follow it where? Every part of our lives. I give my entire life. I surrender everything. I surrender my time. I surrender my treasure. I surrender my talents. I surrender all the ways that I used to live. I surrender it all to God. There's no such thing as just enough Jesus. It is, it is every step of the way I yield to the Holy Spirit. That I, I don't jump ahead, I don't do what I want to do, I yield. And here's just a prayer that you can pray a thousand times a day. In it's Holy Spirit, you have the right of way. Holy Spirit, you have the right of way. At every intersection in life, when I wake up, when I go to work, when I get paid, with my relationships, with dating, with my marriage, with my kids, every opportunity that I have to make a choice, instead of acting on instinct, instead of acting on what I went to do, I surrender. I yield. I come to this inter intersection, I say, no, no, Holy Spirit, you go first. I want to see how you would handle this. I want to see what you would do in this situation. I yield to you. And I'm telling you, this is one of the most rewarding yet painful processes that we will ever experience. And it's one that you don't graduate from. I've met people in their 70s, 80s, 90s who are still dedicated to this idea of I, I, don't, I want more and more of you, Jesus. I just want to yield to you, to your ways. I want to know you. I want to do life how you designed it. But it takes making intentional choices every day, yielding at every intersection to say, no, 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 Holy Spirit, you go first. I don't want to handle things the way I used to. I don't want to run this thing like I used to. I don't want to handle my life like I used to. But God, I completely surrender it to you. You know what we call this? We call this worship. Worship is not just a few minutes that we sing on a Sunday. Worshiping is ascribing ultimate worth to something. It's not just lip service. It's living as if it's true. It's yielding to the Holy Spirit. And here, here's what happens in this process. The biggest problem with humanity from Adam and Eve through now is when we put our wants above God's commands. When we know what God has called us to do, we know how God has called us to live, but we say, no, but I really want to do this. And this trumps that. What worship does is it puts things back in the rightful order. It puts God's wants and God's desires, God's commands over what I'm feeling in the moment. And I learn to trust him with everything. I completely surrender myself and I become in alignment with him. What he loves, I begin to love. What breaks his heart begins to break my heart. What he's commissioned me to do is what I do with my life. And there is nothing that gets in the way of that. It is this ultimate form of worship. And I'm telling you, you want to know what that looks like? When you're worshiping God, when you're yielding to the Holy Spirit, if we go back to the Great Commission engine, 
All I wanna do is know God and help people know God. I have jobs, I have responsibilities, for sure, for sure. But at the end of the day, what fires me up, what fuels me, what I get excited about is I get to spend some, di- some time knowing the creator of the universe. That I believe he truly bends an ear and listens to me, communes with me. That he wants me to know about him. That I come to church and I just want to know more about him. That I want to be in life-giving relationships, no matter how hard and messy they are. And no matter even when that love's not reciprocated, I want to love them because I believe through my act of obedience of loving them, there's an opportunity where they'll get to know God and their relationship with him could be solidified. I want to be in relationship. I want to make a difference with my life. And I know it's not on me. And I know I'm showing up dependent on God because I have nothing to offer this person in front of me unless God shows up. So I'm praying. I'm praying, God, fill me. God, show me. God, help me with this relationship. God, help me to see you. You know what a life like that does? It pulls you back into prayer. Where you go out and you're commissioned, you go and you live and you serve and you do all the things and you realize how short you fall with everything and you go running back to prayer and saying, God, would you fill me? God, God, I I can't do it out there alone. God, I don't want to know what it's like to be fueled by anything else. God, I want to be in this relationship, but I have nothing to bring. God, fill me with your spiritual fruit. God, fill me with love. Fill me with kindness. Fill me with gentleness. Fill me with self-control. Fill me with faithfulness. Fill me with patience, Jesus. I just want to know what you want from me. Prayer is a beautiful, beautiful thing. I remember sitting down with a, a volunteer at the downtown campus and she wanted to join the prayer and response team. So we sat down on the stage and I said, just tell me why you want to join the prayer team. That's what she said. She said, my default response to life is prayer. And that's when I knew we were sitting on the wrong side. You should be leading this conversation right now. I should be on your prayer team. I said, tell me more what you're talking about. She said, when I drop my daughter off at school as she's walking up those stairs, I pray for her. When I'm driving down the road and I hear a siren, I pray. I don't even know what's going on. But my instinct, my my default response to life, any situation is to pray. When I go into work, whatever is ahead of me, I don't know. But I pray that I could follow the Spirit's leading in everything that I do. That reminds me of 1 Thessalonians, doesn't it? 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So, t- so many times we try to make God's will so small that it becomes painful. Like, is God's will for my life to work at Lilly or Salesforce? I'm going to shoot straight with you. I don't think he cares. Um, what he does care about, the will of God is that you would follow him, that you would be filled with his spirit, that you would yield to him, that you would show thanks in all circumstances, that you would live as a living sacrifice on his altar. It's a life of prayer. And through a life of prayer, I'm telling you, you will come face to face with the presence of God. That was where I experienced a filling of the Holy Spirit. Some of you guys know my story, but I didn't grow up in the church. I was 21 before I ever came through these doors. And I didn't come to just any church. I came to this church. I sat right over there. And I understood the doctrine of Christianity before I understood how to live it out. I come from a very blue-collar, hardworking family. 
So I saw the commissioning, I saw what Jesus has asked me to do, and I went to work. I came, I got baptized, I started serving, I started doing, I, joined, I started a group. Not just join one, I started leading one. I had no business leading a group. I was learning stuff one day and sharing it the next day. Like I had been holding on to these truths my whole life. But I was hungry. And I remember the group I was leading, we were um, going through this series by Francis Chan called Basic. And every week it was a different concept of God and community and all these things. And then I hit the week on Holy Spirit. And it just like punched me right in the head. We started talking about this supernatural element to Christianity. We don't do this on our own, but we are fueled by his spirit. And I thought, man, that would make things a lot easier. And then he, then he threw out this question. He said, isn't it the same Holy Spirit that was alive then that's alive now? Isn't it the same Holy Spirit that was doing miracles then that's doing miracles now? Isn't it the same Holy Spirit that was filling men and women back then, the same one that's filling them now? And I was sitting there, I was on my bed, my wife was already asleep, it's just me and, me and Chan. And I remember I just, in my bed, I just started praying. I, I just prayed, God, I want that. God, would you fill me with your spirit? God, I wanna know what that's like. I wanna know that supernatural power because I'm barely into this thing, but I'm at the end of myself. I know I can't do it alone. And I'm telling you, I'm praying this prayer just over and over. God, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. And then in a moment, I, I can't completely explain it to you, but I'm sitting on this bed and I was completely filled. It's, it's, it's like I didn't know how empty I was until I was filled, until I saw how much space there was there that I wasn't even aware of before. And it, and it just completely consumed me from my toes to my head. This, this warm feeling, no words, but it just pushed over me like this, this weight of love that I was completely loved, that I was brought up into that trinity of love, that there was this outpouring on me, that God was showing me how much more of him there was to know, how much more of them, him there was to experience. And I wasn't reminded of my sin, I wasn't reminded of how bad I had done, it was just complete and utter love that washed over me. And I began to change my prayer. From God, fill me to God, don't let it end. God, don't let it end. Don't let me, leave. don't let me forget this moment. And it could have been 30 seconds. It could have been two hours. I don't know how long it lasted, but it did dissipate. But I think about that sometimes, like, why did God give me that? And I think one, he gave it to me just to truly just show me that he loved me. But I also think it was twofold. It was for me to stand in places like this and to tell people that it is the same God that is alive and active. It's the same God that is filling men and women with his spirit, with a love like you have never known that will wash over you and remove everything that doesn't belong. It will truly fill you. Ah. And I told you, I can't, I can't explain it. I, I did try to draw it, though. I had this doodle where I tried to make sense of what, ex what I experienced. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it, it's it almost the only thing I could mimic, it, like, explain is like, if you ever seen a cartoon where, you know, Bugs Bunny takes the hose and puts it into Elmer Fudd's mouth and then cranks it on and then his whole body begins to expand. It, it was like that. Every 
part of me was filled and I was just raised out of there. And I'm telling you, if what I felt in that moment, that overwhelming love, if that is a glimpse of what heaven, of all eternity with God is like, I just want to tell you today, my testimony, everything you will experience will be worth getting that. If that was a glimpse of it and that's going to happen for all of eternity, joining in over and over again in that state, I'm telling you, as hard as it sounds, as much pain as we've been through, I'm telling you, there is coming a day where God will fill his people, where he will be done with this place, where there will be a new heaven and a new Jerusalem and a new creation where we are filled and we are constantly in his presence. And I believe it's going to be like that. So I just want to put that out there to everyone today. If you've never experienced that filling of the Holy Spirit, now is the time. And here's what you do. You believe. That's the whole point of this. You are being filled with something that you can't create. That takes faith. To believe that you're going to step out there and, and pray and believe and that God will fill you. God will do what only he can do. What we have to do is make ourselves available. So I just want to put that out there to you. Here's, here it is. This is the gospel. God loves you. God created you. All of humanity has sinned against God, chose to have our own way, chose to put him in the back seat. But God didn't give up. God pursued us. God hunted us down with his love, even sent his only son, emptied heaven for me and you. Jesus would go to a cross to live the perfect life that we could never live, died to all of that sin, died to all of that shame, died to all of that condemnation, and rose, and rose coming out on the other side saying, follow me. And I will fill you with my spirit. I will fill you with my love. I will fill you with my grace. I will fill you with my fruit. And you will be sent. And you will go to the ends of the earth. And you can be sure of this. I will be with you always. We're going to have time here that you're going to be able to pray that prayer for the first time. God, fill me with your spirit. And for others of us, I, I want to say... It might be a time right now where we need to drain the tanks. We've been fueling with a whole bunch of stuff that God does not trying to fill you with. We're leaning on a lot of different things to bring us fulfillment. We're coping in a lot of different ways. We're searching for contentment and satisfaction in all of these different ways. And God's saying, no, I need you to surrender that and surrender to me. I need you to lay down that life of sin because my Holy Spirit is not going to go that way. But I need you to repent. I need you to drain the tanks. And I need you to have a fresh falling of my spirit on you. That you get an opportunity to do that. And I want to end with this verse. It comes right after we looked at what the will of God is for our lives. He then says, do not quench the spirit. Meaning if God is convicting you right now, God is pulling at your heart. You're almost bringing yourself to that spot to submit, to surrender, to ask to be filled with his spirit. But you're saying, I just don't know if I'm ready. I have a lot more that I want to do. I'm worried of what this will mean for my life. I just want to say, don't quench the spirit. One of the biggest lies that adults tell ourselves is that we'll get gas tomorrow. All that does is prolong the
the problem. All it does is create more problems. And what terrifies me is that if you're here today and you're feeling that conviction, you're feeling that compassion, you're feeling God bringing you in to experience his love and you push back and you harden yourself to it, who's to say that same conviction will come back tomorrow? So what we wanna do right now is just create a space of worship to create a space to commune with God, a space to, to ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you. And we're gonna take communion and we're gonna sing together, but here's the thing, do not let your worship end when the service ends. Take the gas with you, take the fuel with you, yield to him every single step of the way. And one of the ways we do that is by taking communion. We take a moment where we pause, and we believe that in this moment, all of us, as we sit there, believers in Christ, when we sit and we remember the elements, Jesus' blood and body, that this is truly a moment of worship where we are communing with God, where God is bending down to be with us in this moment. So right now, we're gonna take this little piece of bread which represents Jesus' body that was broken on our behalf and we remember the sacrifice that he has made for us. He didn't give us just enough, Jesus. He gave us all of himself. We take the bread together. And then we look to the sacrifice of Jesus spilling his blood for you and me. That a good God was killed by evil men, but he went willingly. He chose to go through all of that so that we could now have what he has, so that we could experience that kind of love, so we could live in a community where God would be with his people again. So we take the juice and we remember the sacrifice that was made. One last call, and I just wanna paint this as clearly as I can, specifically for anyone that has never received the Holy Spirit, anyone who has never given their life to Christ. I, I wanna close with these words from Jesus, where he was talking about the Holy Spirit. And I want you to hear his language and know that this is for you. It says, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. It is not anyone who is perfect, anyone who grew up in a family like that, anyone who has a clean history, anyone who is, who is ready. You can't be ready for this. It's overwhelming. It's, it's power. You can't even know exactly. You just got to know enough, just a little bit. You got to be thirsty is the word that he says. That's the only prerequisite. You got to want it. And he says, anyone who is thirsty may come to me Anyone who believes in me, come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And they will be my people and I will be with them. And my spirit will dwell in them. So no matter where you are, I just want to encourage you to take the next just little bit to pray that prayer. God, fill me with your spirit. Just keep praying it. 
Ask, knock, and you will receive. Time is now.